0: This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. Hey, this is Drew Pearson, the original number 88 of the Dallas Cowboys and newest member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame for the class of 2021. And you're listening to I Test for Two. Hoot hoot!
1: Welcome back to the eye test for two. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. We are Hall of Fame voters, as I hope you know by now. Joined today, as always, by our Hall of Fame producer, Ian Glendon. And soon, very soon, by another Hall of Fame voter, longtime friend of ours, Mr. Rick Goslin. But first, Ira, I was in Canton two weeks ago, you know, two weekends ago, I guess precisely. Drove nine and a half hours there. Drove nine and a half hours back, both times with Ron Borges, another Hall of Fame voter.
2: How come we didn't get to see you there? I heard you were there. I didn't see you. Where were you? Well, Clark, a simple answer. While you were hanging out with Steve Atwater, I I was hanging out with Lionel Rich at John Lynch's party. See, that's the difference between us over there. Uh, Sunday, I got a shout out from John Lynch that made it a hell of a weekend with my wife sitting right next to me. And then Rick Goslin, our guest, and I uh, met up for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Mr. Judge, while you were in a hurry to get back to your little shanty in Connecticut.
1: (laughs) One difference. I saw Mr. Rick Goslin, a.k.a. Goose Goslin. I didn't see you, Ira. I heard about the Lynch party, didn't get an invite. I was not with Steve Atwater. Saw about as much of Steve Atwater as I saw of you, which is nada. So uh, anyway, a quick question for you on this ceremony, if in fact you pulled yourself away from the party to go to the ceremonies, do you like it? What was your take from it? I, I love the, the uh,
2: new format with the with the with the shortened speeches. I thought it was tremendous. Um, and you and Rick have been talking about this for a while. They finally adopted it. And you know what? It, it, it um, I don't think it affected anybody negatively. And in fact, I think it enhanced the whole uh, process. Anything you change, IRA? Uh, no, I'd have Lynch uh, leading off, so he could uh, say it on national TV uh, that everybody heard. Uh, Ira Kaufman, and, and he pronounced my name right too, Clark. I mean, it's a it's a daily double; it's a win all the way around. That's the only reason I knew you were
1: there. I heard him pronounce your name. <laughs> well, as I mentioned, uh, Rick Osmond's with us today, and yeah, he is with us today. And Rick and I work at the Talk of Fame Network have for the last seven or eight years, and he's been a Hall of Fame voter for 26 years, longtime friend of Ira's and mine. He's also, like Ira, a member of the Hall's Senior Committee, which is going to meet next Tuesday, that'd be August 24th, to choose the senior and coaching candidates for the class of 2022. Gooseman, thanks for joining us. I know you were a Canton because I saw you unlike Ira, but thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah, I wasn't hiding from anybody, like some people.
1: (laughs) Okay, let's start with what's going to happen next week, which is the senior committee meeting by Zoom. Uh, Please tell our listeners, Goose, if you could, what you're going to do then and how you're going to do it. In other words, how the process takes place.
0: Well, we've had uh, a vote down. We had an original slate of about 80 to 100 players. We voted it down to 15, and next Tuesday, we'll discuss those 15 and pick one. Uh, as our senior nominee for the, for the class of 2022. Drew Pearson was the one nominee last year and we'll have one nominee each of the next four years.
1: Well, you and I have talked about this for a long time and I and I have as well, but the process is so difficult, Goose. It's the most thankless job, I think, at, at the hall among the voters. And you pointed out to me among the senior candidates that you've got, you've got 58 for all decade members. 53 of whom have never been discussed by the Hall's board of selectors. It's it's a difficult process. It's a, as I said, a thankless process. How difficult was this year's selection to cut that hundred down to 15, let's just say, or 16, whatever it is. And, and do you have any anecdote or story about uh, an experience that was tougher than most?
0: Well, it's always tough. Um, I've got a slate, a list of 108 players that I think had careers worthy of Hall of Fame discussion. I'm not saying all of them are Hall of Famers, but they had careers worthy of discussion. And of the 108, and we get to talk about 15 each year, we get to pick one. Of that 108, 94 have never been finalists. You mentioned 58 all decade players, 53 never been discussed, including four first-team all-decade players. There are two members of the 50th anniversary team on my list that have never been discussed. There's a member of the 100th anniversary team on my list that has never been discussed. There are eight five-time first-team all-pros on my list. And how impressive is that? Well, Charles Woodson was a three-time first-team all-pro. There's a lot of talent. I got nine NFL MVPs, five NFL defensive players of the year, five Super Bowl MVPs, all in the senior pool, and we get to bring out one a year.
2: Huh. Rick, I want to ask you about, um, and you talk about it in the room, Rick, about how guys that are, you know, in the 18th, 19th, 20th year of being a modern-day candidate, and, Rick, you say you, they fall into the abyss. I mean, that's that's that, that's that a perfect description. Uh, Rick, a couple of those guys are, are Bob Kuchenberg, who, um, you know – holds a special place for me because I know what it's like to be in that room seven or eight years uh, in a row, like John Lynch. And Kuchenberg was one of them. And then he disappeared, Rick, Joe Jacoby. I mean, Rick, they, they can't crack the modern day, but they're, they're worthy candidates. And, and, and now, uh, you know, they're digging up from the bottom.
0: Yeah, you look at a guy like Jack Butler who waited 50 years to, to get enshrined. And he was a, a first-team all-decade player. Wes Richter went to eight Pro Bowls, nine seasons. He waited 50 years to get in. And just because the guy hasn't got in the, in the modern era, it doesn't mean he automatically comes to the, queue of the senior pool. There's a lot of talent in the senior pool. In fact, this, this year, uh, this is the first time probably ever we've never had a first-team, all-decade guy in the senior pool. We do have a... a Three or four all decade players. Uh, a lot of the names you, you, you know from the past, the Ken Ryan, these are Ken Andersons, uh, Cliff Branches, Eddie Metters. Just, they're just. It's really frustrating to, to see all this talent and be able to pick out just one. I, when we get out of the meeting, I feel worse for the 14 guys we didn't pick than I do feel good for the guy we did pick. Because those 14, they got to go back and wait another year. And many of them are in, are in their third, fourth, and fifth decades waiting.
2: Rick, what do you say to the people that say they've been doing this since 1963 and having these meetings? And why is there such a backlog? Did, did the early days of this um, organization screw up or is it just that uh, there, there's so many worthy players? Well, there,
0: the NFL has more teams than any other sport. It has more starting spots than any other sport, 22 starting spots than any other sport. And, yeah, we're putting in the same numbers every year as as baseball and and hockey and basketball. There are just too many candidates, uh, which is why you get guys that that are never discussed. Maxie Bond, in the 1960s, inclusive, went to eight, excuse me, nine of the 10 Pro Bowls. He went to more Pro Bowls than all five of the all-decade linebackers from the 1960s. He's never been a finalist. He won a championship as a rookie starter, nine Pro Bowls. And how do you how do you go to nine Pro Bowls in a span of 10 years and never have your career discussed um, by the Hall of Fame? It's just it's It's, mind-boggling. He's just one of the many of the guys that have slid. The issue is um, about one-third of the players in the hall play defense. 65% of all the players in the hall won championships. Of the 104 players on defense. 62 of them won championships. That leaves 42 players, defensive players, did not win championships in the Canton. Of the 42, 11 got into seniors. So this committee has picked 31 players who are not all decade over a seven-year window of two-way football. That I think it's a blind spot uh, that this, this committee has. If you didn't win a championship, we, we on defense, we act like you weren't a good player. There are great players. You know, Eddie, Eddie Menor never won a championship. He went to six Pro Bowls in 12 seasons, two different positions, corner and safety. He was, a, he was one of three safeties picked the all-decade team. He's, he's still the Rams' all-time leader in interceptions and block kicks. He's never been a finalist. How does that happen, except that he did win a championship?
1: We're speaking with All-Fame voter Rick Ozan on the eye test for two. And, Goose Man. you brought up a good point about Maxi Bond. Certainly those credentials are Hall of Fame worthy. Another guy that I'm particularly uh, sensitive to is, is a Philadelphia offensive lineman, Al Wister. Yeah. He played nine years. Eight years of those nine, he was an all-pro player. He was a first-team all-decade player. He won two championships, back-to-back championships with the Philadelphia Eagles where he was the team MVP. Yet he's not in Canton. And both those guys were eligible for the centennial class of 2020, yet neither one made it. So what are the expectations that they can make it now when we're down to just one player for e- each year instead of 10 and that the Centennial class overlooked them? Yeah, I
0: thought the Centennial class was the window for a lot of the older players to get in. There are four first-team All-Decca guys who played before 1950. Labby Dillwig, a, a wide receiver for Green Bay in the 20s. Ox Emerson, a guard for the Lions in the 30s. Bruno Banducci, a guard for the 49ers uh, in the 40s and Al westert in the 40s, if you're a first-team all-decade player, that is a rubber stamp for Canton. There are 145 first-team all-decade players through the year 2000. 140 of them are in the Hall of Fame. Leroy Butler is the other one. He's the current modern-era candidate. But the other four, what did they do that denied them the rubber stamp of being a first-team all-decade Hall of Fame player. These guys, these four, have slipped through the cracks. At some point, I think we've got to address these four.
1: Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. What they did was they got forgotten. That was the great uh, fault of theirs. You know, <laughs> it wasn't of theirs; it was of ours. Um, and then, secondly, when you look at this class this year, I'm talking about the senior class. You're looking at the the finalists now. Your your list that you'll vote on next week. Can you handicap them for us? I mean, I'm not talking about going through all fifteen, but clearly. Riley and Branch have been mentioned as two of the front runners. I would think they might be, probably should be. Are there others that we should include?
0: Well, I, I certainly think Eddie Metter, Eddie Metter has been retired. He's I think he's 40-some years uh, in the queue waiting to be discussed. I think his candidacy is, is as good as anyone's in this pool. You know, you mentioned Ken Riley, second all-time among pure corners in interceptions with 65. Only Night Train Lane with 68 had more. He's never been a finalist. How do you intercept 65 passes in the NFL and never have your career discussed as a Hall of Fame finalist? And and you guys mentioned Cliff Branch. I think what worked against Branch was the fact that there were two guys that weren't in that were all decade, uh, Drew Pearson and Harold Carmichael. We've cleaned that up in the last two years, putting those two in. The issue, I think, with Branch is if you put him in, he'll be the 12th Raider from the 1970s to get in. The Packers in the '60s have 12. They won five championships. The Steelers in the '70s have nine, excuse me, 10, and, and they won four championships. The Browns from the '50s uh, went to seven title games, won three. They've got 10. Now, if you're going to put a, a, a 12th Raider in, why didn't they win the four Super Bowls? Why didn't why didn't they win more than Pittsburgh did? You got. Both Hall of Famers and two coaches from the '70s Raiders in the Hall of Fame. Just you, you can't you can't put everybody in.
1: Yeah, and Goose, <laughs> as you pointed out, when we saw you in Canton, our, Let me repeat: when we saw Goose <laughs> in Canton, as you pointed out, there are four teams. There are four teams out there who, in the fifty years of the Senior Committee, have not had a single person, individual, pulled out by the Senior Committee. You want to talk? Tell us about that.
0: Yeah. Cole. The Colts are one, uh, Chargers, San Diego, L.A., that's like your pick. Patriots, Bengals, and actually there's a five. There's a Saints uh, in that group. And you look at uh, a guy like Stanley Morgan, uh, never been a finalist, certainly has numbers from the Patriots to deserve that recognition. You know, Mike Curtis and Bobby Boyd have been in the senior finals before and, and, and not gotten in. You know, Both Ken Riley and Ken Anderson. I, I think Ken Anderson, probably the best quarterback not in the Hall of Fame. He's, he's a past, he's one of those MVPs I talked about in the senior pool Never been, he, I think he was a finalist once, but again, he's the best quarterback not in all of fame. Ken Riley, we talked about him. Uh, just, yeah, again, there's
1: Leslie O'Neill and Walt Sweeney from the Chargers, yeah, too.
0: Yeah, Walt Sweeney went to nine Pro Bowls. He's up there with, with uh, Maxie Bond and never been discussed as a finalist. It's just, it's so frustrating, a process that you have, all these qualified candidates and we get to bring out one year. If I had my brother as a way to clean it up, I'd have three every year for the next 10 years. And that would put Great. a dent in the senior pool and kind of ease up the logjam. It still wouldn't solve all the issues because more players are going to the senior pool every
2: year, but it would be a start. I agree. Rick, talk a little bit about uh, underrepresented franchises. You mentioned a few of them, but in particular goose um, Cincinnati, Cincinnati, And Atlanta, Rick, I mean, you know, do you really want to count Deion Sanders as as a Falcon? Uh, Claude Humphrey, you know, also played for the Eagles and and helped them to a Super Bowl. Uh, Rick, what is it about some of these franchises that um, they've been around for more than 50 years, Rick? Five decades. And they're lucky to have one or two guys in in the hole. What's going on with some of these franchises that are not considered glamour teams?
0: Okay, let me repeat. 65% of everyone in Canton won a championship. What do the Bengals uh, have in common with with, with that group? Bengals, uh, Falcons never won a championship. There are a lot of great players. That, Atlanta had a great offensive line. They had, you know, Bill Freilich and Jeff Van um Mike, Mike Ken Yeah, Mike these Kent. guys are all Hall of Fame worthy, but they didn't win a championship and they don't have stats. If you're an offensive lineman that didn't win a championship, you don't have stats. George Coons. Went to eight Pro Bowls with the Colts and the Falcons. He he's never been discussed as a finalist. Uh, again, the Bengals one player in the Hall of Fame, Anthony Munoz. And this is a team that went to a couple Super Bowls, and I, I can't explain why we're still talking about Ken Anderson, and Ken Riley. You can make a case that both of them should have already been in. But bottom line, you really need a championship on your resume to get a look from this committee.
2: And, and Rick, along those lines, switching just for a minute to uh, the coaching uh, situation. Um, Rick, I asked Bill Belichick on a Zoom call uh, a couple of years ago. Um, in his mind, do you have to get to a Super Bowl as a coach to even be considered to go to Canton? And his answer was kind of in the affirmative. You at least have to get there. Now, Rick, George Allen didn't didn't get there. Um yeah, he got there, but he didn't win it. Um, Rick, in the future, and, and how much is that, is that hurting a guy like Marty Schottenheimer? Um, um, Dan Reeves, Dan Royale. Reeves didn't win one, Rick. Um, and is that fair?
0: Okay, let me, let me address Schottenheimer in particular. You look at all the Hall of Fame coaches, except for one. They were all one quarterback coaches. Paul Brown, Otto Graham, Vince Lombardi, Bart Starr. Chuck Knoll, Terry Bradshaw, Phil Walsh, Joe Montana, Jimmy Johnson, Trey Aikman, and then you're going to have Belichick and Brady. They didn't win with another quarterback. I think Coriel had Fouts for nine years, and Reeves had Elway for nine or ten years, and you know Paul Brown had uh, Otto Graham for ten years. Success is tied to the quarterback. Marty Schottenheimer won 200 games without a quarterback. He didn't have a franchise guy. He never had a Dan Fouts. He never had a John Elway. He he took teams to the top seeds in the AFC with Steve Bono and Elvis Gerbeck as his quarterback. And those guys, they're not Hall of Fame guys. They're barely even Pro Bowl guys. He had 11 different starting quarterbacks in 21 years. His best quarterbacks, he had the final two seasons of an aging Joe Montana and the first two seasons of a young Phillip Rivers. And yet, I think he ranks eighth all time with 200 victories. Now, are you going to hold that against his career because he didn't have a, a Tom Brady for 18 years and he didn't have a, a, a Terry Bradshaw for 10 years? It's the, the coaches are tied to the quarterbacks and you can't hold it against the coach if he never had that quarterback. And Schottenheimer is a classic example. There are only a half a dozen coaches that won 200 games. He's one of them and he did it without a, a, a premier quarterback. And I think that's why his candidacy would loom strongly with this committee. He never got to Super Bowl. He never had the quarterback that would take him to the Super Bowl. I think he deserves strong consideration. You win 200 games without a quarterback. That's coaching.
1: Goose, another coach who deserves strong consideration is Buddy Parker. And maybe some of our listeners or most of them don't know who he was. Two-time NFL champion. He went to three championships. He beat Paul Brown, built the NFL championship Detroit Lions team in 1957. He built them. And then he left for Pittsburgh. So he's really to me the 1950s version of Jimmy Johnson Jimmy Johnson's in the hall buddy Parker is not in the hall here we are talking almost 70 years later why hasn't he been in before this and how did he escape the centennial class of 2020 because you were on that board
0: yeah he's, I, that was that was one of the oversights I mean that was that committee was built for for buddy Parker and Clark Shaughnessy and instead we picked two coaches from the 19 uh, from the 1990s uh, Jimmy Johnson and um, Bill Cowher, people have forgotten Buddy Parker. You know, he's the guy that slipped through the cracks. He, he's, he was Jimmy Johnson. He built three championships. He won back-to-back. He took the Lions to three consecutive championship games. And, of course, since he left, uh, the team hasn't come close to a Super Bowl. And they were one of the two teams that hasn't been to a Super Bowl, you know, since the start mm-hmm. of the game. Uh, in 57, he, he quit the team on the eve of the season. He got fed up with the meddling ownership. In front office kind of like Jimmy left the Cowboys for the same reason he also made the trade in camp that brought in Tobin Rowe that won that championship right. in the title game Tobin Rowe threw for uh, four touchdown passes and ran for another so he built champions he goes to Pittsburgh Pittsburgh was the, the worst team in, in, in football history they it had two winning seasons I think in their first 22 years he posted a winning season in the second season he won 51 percent of his games in Pittsburgh, they won 37% before he got there. And over the next eight years after he left, they won 27%. He resurrected a dead franchise. And you can talk about Chuck Noll in the Super Bowls, but Buddy Parker put the Steelers back on the map. Uh, and, and just a side note, the Lions had only won one other championship in their history in 1935. Buddy Parker was on that team. He scored a touchdown and had an interception in a championship game. Buddy Parker, as a player, as a coach, he, he's been overlooked. And he's a guy that we really need to address. He should have been in a long time ago.
1: Goose, as Rick, you know, the, uh, Hall, you. The, the Hall, excuse me, I want okay. to ask one of the, the Hall created this coaches category this year. And Tom Flores was the first coaching candidate who made the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That program, that category is alive for four years, 2021 through 2024. Do you see it changing afterwards? And if you do, how so? Yeah. I don't know
0: that, uh, there are a, a slate of coaches. I, I don't think I could build you a slate of 10 coaches that I can consider hall of fame candidates. I don't know that I can give you a slate of 10 contributors that I consider a hall of fame candidates, strong hall of fame candidates. Yeah. We're going to put in one each the next four years. And we're going to tell hundred senior players, it's not your time. Yet. You know, I was, I fought against losing senior spots, uh, you know, they need to have go back to two. Like I said, I'd rather have three, but there'll be there'll be better players left behind than coaches selected as Hall of Famers in the next four years.
2: I'm totally with you, Rick. And along those lines, Rick, I know you can't go into your specifics of your uh, of your discussions with David Baker, other Hall officials, but Rick, give us an idea of how receptive these people are to opening up the senior category and allowing more slots or what kind of feedback rick are you getting because you are the main advocate for this and and i thank you for that um do you think things will change uh, in, in the next couple of years no
0: i've been pitching more senior candidates for for a decade i've been on the senior pool our senior committee for about 14 years and i'm always talking about more senior candidates we need more we need to break this log jam up but it's not the Hall is doing what they feel must be done. They felt they needed a coach category. They felt they needed a contributor category. You know, I'm just, I'm just one of many voices that's talking. But, again, I, I've showed people that list, and I would hope it gets someone's attention. All these great players not in. We need more senior slots, and I'm not sure it's going to change anytime soon.
1: Rick Goslin, thanks so much for the time. Thanks for the education. And one last question. Ira and I are both seniors. When do we make the final cut?
0: <laughs> well, Ira made his final cut when John Lynch spoke. <laughs> he said, you can't get much higher than that.
2: You can't get much higher than that. And
0: I'm waiting for one uh, of the great 40. Maybe Roger Craig will give you a shout out, Clark.
2: <laughs> yeah. I want my bus to cross from Warren Sapp, God.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you don't want it thrown at you, Ira. Goose, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Enjoy it. That was all the same voter Rick Goslin. And Ira, I'll ask you, where do you stand on the seniors? Um, Do you have a favorite this year? I'm talking about this year. I know you're on the committee, but you're not going to be involved in the actual voting. So where do you stand?
2: Well, Clark, maybe I'm being influenced by Bengal nation. I don't know about you, but every time I go on Twitter, there they are. And they are adamant and they are passionate and I respect that. And Ken Riley would be my number one pick, and uh, Ken Anderson's a strong candidate. Wow.
1: Wow. They, They seem to like that pick, Ira. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe they were talking about I was there because we're bringing it back today. I was there. The annual, no, the weekly segment, I was there. Where were you, Ira, and when were you there?
2: Clark, I was a young pup. And yes, there was a time when I was a young pup, Mr. Judge. And it happened to be on a Saturday in December 19th, 1981. Giants Stadium, Mr. Judge, 26 degrees, 20 mile an hour winds. You know that wind tunnel known as the Meadowlands very well. Cowboys, Giants, last regular season game. Yes, summer all and John Madden at the, at the broadcast booth. Giants need a win. They're eight and seven, Clark. They need a win and a little help the next day on Sunday to get into the playoffs, Mr. Judge, for the first time since 1963. 18-year playoff drought for the Giants. Ray Perkins at the helm. They win the game 13-10. to 10. Brilliant defensive effort led by Lawrence Taylor. Joe Donello, they win despite three missed field goals by Joe Donello, who ends up hitting the winner in overtime, carried off the field by Ray Perkins, Mr. Judge. Uh, The next week, the Giants go to Philly, and they beat them. And then they go to San Francisco and lose to the 49ers. Now, Clark, three weeks after the loss, the Cowboys travel out the candlestick in a game that you and I will never forget. And Dwight Clark makes the catch. But the Giants needed to win the game. They were underdogs at home. And that was the beginning of the Giant defense led by Lawrence Taylor.
1: It's funny. When you started out and you said, I was a young pup, I was going to say, no, this was I was there. Not, I wasn't there.
2: It's good to be back with you on this show. Good yeah, to be it back. is.
1: You got final thoughts other than where was I last uh, two weekends ago? No, I wasn't there either. Well, you were at the John Lynch party. I don't know where I was, but
2: Clark, got I got a thoughts. I got a final thought for our producer, Ian Glendon. Yeah. Ian, if you're worried about the, the bucks loss to the Bengals, in week one of the preseason, I am here to help you off the ledge. That game will mean nothing. And once the season starts with the Cowboys rolling into town on that Thursday night, you will forget all about how sloppy that performance is. Clark, fans here, are they're getting worried about a preseason oh, loss please. to the Bengals.
0: Please. May I add, if I remember correctly, the 2007 Patriots went either 1-3 or 0-4 in the preseason, and the 2008 Detroit Lions went 4-0. and
1: Nice.
2: Nice. Yeah,
1: Our preseason football reminds me of something a good friend of mine once told me. It's not worth the time. I don't think about it. Anyway, <laughs> that's going to do it for today. Our thanks to Rick Allison for joining us. As always, our producer Ian Glendon for making this happen. And, of course... Thanks to you for listening to this, this edition of the eye test for two. We'll see you next week.